Hello, everybody, and welcome. You've reached Chris Black, and I'm going to try to keep it professional. Glad everybody's here. Thank you for joining me. I hope it all is going your way today, and I am fired up and ready to go today. We've got a lot of fun things to cover. So, without further ado, let's get started. Hey, so welcome to episode two. First one's knocked out, got that out of the way. Now we're on to episode number two, and I had a really cool concept with this one that kind of uh, came to me organically when I was out to dinner on Friday with my family and my oldest son's home, and he brought his roommate, and we got to talking about some things. I'm like, wow, this might be some you know decent content. So both these guys are going to go into, they're actually studying criminal justice, and they're going into a career field that uh, is quite interesting to me. A lot of people are running from it, they're running to it, so... Um, we did the interview and then something really interesting happened. So go ahead and take a listen to the, uh, podcast interview and that's about five minutes long and then we'll share what happens next. So today we're going to start off with an interview, um, with, uh, my son and his roommate, actually, they both go to Jacksonville state university and they're finishing up their freshman year. How are you doing guys? Good. Good. Fantastic. So what we want to kind of find out is they're, they're both in the criminal justice program. And, you know, if you've watched television or seen the news, it's kind of a controversial area right now. And um, even though a lot of seasoned veterans are running away from law enforcement and even the legal field, it seems like um, these guys are going into it uh, head on. So, uh, Jaden, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Um, my name is Jaden and uh, I'm from Helena, Alabama. Um, I am a, I am a police explorer for Helena as well. I'm also a marcher southerner. I'm also a volunteer firefighter for the city of Helena as well. And uh, I'm majoring in criminal justice, obviously. But um, yeah, a little bit about me. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And Skylar, tell us a little bit about you. Criminal justice major at Jacksonville State University with a dual minor in psychology and sociology with the hope to go into pre-law at either Alabama or Faulkner University. Sounds good. Sounds like you like education because you want more and more of it. So So as far as your particular fields of studies, um, you know, Jaden, what kind of got you focused on uh, the area of field? Well, tell us a little bit about the field of study that you're in and kind of tell us how you got there. Well, it all started off when I was like a little kid. I've always wanted to go into law enforcement. Um, it has always been intriguing to me to like, you know, to see how the field works. But um, I've always wanted to make a difference in people's lives. I've always wanted to help people when they're when they're um, feeling low and stuff like that. And so with this major, I feel like I can make a difference in people's lives and help further my career, which is being hopefully a U.S. Marshal one day. So, yeah. So, Skylar, tell us a little bit about your field of study and what, uh, what, how you kind of got there. How did you figure that out, what you wanted to be? I uh, got to the point of going into pre-law because I decided that I didn't have any interest in the law enforcement side of things because I felt like I could make more of a difference helping juveniles in a court setting. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about the field that you, you're looking to go into. With the juvenile courts. So the juvenile courts? I'm looking to go into that because I feel like you have more of a chance of changing a juvenile's life for the better at such a young age when they're still developing mentally from a sociology standpoint. Absolutely. So given today's 
climate, if you will. There are so many people that are running from these fields in particular, especially dealing with criminal justice and, you know, the juvenile side of the world it seems to be, you know, severely underserved. Uh, what made you want to go into a field that so many people are running away from? Uh, past experiences so that I can go in and be there for children who don't have anybody to be there for them. So you're looking at the advocate side of it. And Jaden, what, what made you decide that um, even though everyone's running as quick as they can, it seems like, from going into law enforcement or even going away from it, what made you decide that's something you want to run toward? Well, um, like I said before, it's always been in my blood to be a police officer or the person that works for the federal government. And But, but um, basically, it's all... I say it's in it's it's within the heart because you have to have a heart to serve, you have to have a passion to serve, and quite frankly, most people get tired of the of the media and stuff like that, basically tearing them down and stuff. And so, yeah. with that, I mean, yeah, the media is one thing, but your passion to serve and your heart to serve is another. Absolutely. So, what challenges do you see facing going forward with what you've seen in your career field so far? What do you think your biggest challenges are going to be? Um, I'd say the people that I know and, and, and quite frankly, like I said, the media, because the media likes to perceive law enforcement officers to be these bad people. But I mean, in reality, they're not. But if you think about it, it's like the bad apple theory. Not all cops are bad. It's like not all apples are bad. Not all cops are bad, but there's always a few in the bunch mm-hmm. to make the, the bunch look bad. And so my goal is to change the law enforcement, uh, the way that uh, people perceive law enforcement and stuff. Excellent. Skylar, what do you see the challenges going into the juvenile field uh, that you're looking going into? What other than the crippling student debt? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's certainly, uh, you know, something to consider. Uh, But actually, the the people you'd be serving in the juvenile Uh, world. The moral challenges of it. Like trying to sit there and defend a child that's murdered three, four people. Do you think they're worth saving at that point? I mean, everyone gets a chance, thankfully. I see the challenges in that, too, coming from a family side of things. I mean, that is a court setting where you could end up taking away people's children and stuff from them on abuse cases and stuff like that. And Plus, I'll be working with departments I'd rather not work with. You know, you've got people like DHR, CPS. And they all play a vital role in the ecosystem, but it can be a challenge, I'm sure. Um, the irony to all this is, you know, I looked at a criminal justice degree many years ago and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I still haven't grown up yet, believe it or not. I'm still kind of figuring out what I want to do for the rest of my life. But um, it's it's interesting to me to see how many things have changed from the time that I looked at going into law enforcement. When I looked into uh, a career field, uh, you know, on the legal side of the world and where we're at today. And uh, you know, to see young people going through this, is uh, it's, it's pretty incredible to see anybody who's willing to you know, pick up the crippling debt, as Skylar liked to point out, and go through all the challenges uh, to go into a field where people really, you know, they don't appreciate you until they need you. And even yeah. then, you know, maybe it, it works out, maybe it doesn't. But um, guys, thank you for joining me today. I'm sure we're going to have many opportunities in the future to talk more about your paths and uh, where you're headed. And uh, if you guys want more information, check out the link below and uh, learn more about these guys. Thanks so much for joining us. So as you can tell, we're all kind of nervous and, you know, everybody's kind of rigid. It wasn't really free-flowing like I thought it would be. And so after I hit the stop button, we're sitting there and I'm 
basically a, a conversation broke out and I started rolling uh, as soon as I realized what was going on and uh, actually gets pretty interesting. So check out the after podcast, if you will. What's kind of funny about all that, though, if you get right down to it, is the fact that you have so many different ways of looking at these career fields. Yeah. Yours is the crippling debt side, but that's the part that gets you. Right. You know what I mean? You're looking at what can I do to, to make a difference and change. And I think that's ultimately all, what we all want to do yeah. is make that change and that difference. But I think what we run into is, you know, how do we get there? How do we get to that point? Yeah. And uh, that's the challenge as I see it. And, I mean, I think um, you've got to figure that out. But the crippling debt, really, like that's the part that makes you nervous. Um, I would say two hundred fifty thousand dollars of student debt would make you pretty nervous, right? Better figure it out. I'm just saying. No. So, or the I mean, fact that I'm going to be in school until I'm almost thirty. I mean, there's always. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. But I mean, even with the loan pressure side of things, it's just a matter of, like I said, being the change. Because if you think about it, if you go back way, way back when. Law enforcement started in the 1800s, and um, first off, it started off with like you know they called it slave patrol, but it's still not, not bringing race into it or anything. But it's just a matter of the police needs the community, and the community needs to police, I guess, and that's yeah. and that's the uh, what it boils down to. Yeah, hey, I'm just gonna throw a topic out there. I think that basic traffic cops should be demilitarized. I mean, in- how are they militarized <laughs> now? Handguns. Shouldn't have handguns. There's no reason for it. Well, and I've already stood by this. I've already got the PowerPoint made up for this of why they should be because this is my project for English because we had to argue an argumentative essay point and make a PowerPoint off of it. Well, we are the most lethal country in the world in terms of civilian deaths by officers and officer deaths by civilians, and we are one of the most armed countries. Well, hear me out on this, and you may not agree with it, whatever, but... I mean, if you think about it, the two most dangerous calls for law enforcement officers to go on domestic violence. Domestic violence, hands down. Okay. But here's the thing. In Europe, a different kind of people answer that. Europe has a special trained police force that is militarized that handles I know, but things. I'm saying, if you think about it, you don't know how a person's going to act on a traffic stop. I mean, shoot, they could be calm one minute and then... I get like, that, oh, but crap, to be fair, next. though, if you're not having a... Ha- if you know that somebody has a handgun on you and you're getting into a conflict situation with them, because pulling somebody over already starts a conflict. Yeah. When you pull somebody over, you're engaging in a conflict then and there, as soon as you do that. I mean, yeah. When you're in a conflict, if you know somebody has a knife or a handgun on them, doesn't that make you a little nervous to start more conflict with them? But how would you know that, though? Well, they know you have a gun. You're yeah. not wrong. I mean... But does that not make you nervous? Like, if we were sitting here arguing and I had a handgun on my thigh, would that not make you a little how would nervous? I know that, how would I not know that? I if mean, my hand, I'm talking open carry, Jade, like cops. If I had yeah. a handgun out, wouldn't that make you a little nervous if we were arguing? I mean, yeah, I would, but that's I'm saying, my point. But I'm is saying. it available or is it in your hand? I'm talking, it's available. Okay, like, so it's, it's not option. in your hand. You're it's not having choice. an argument. No, it's point. a choice. Like you. we're arguing, and it is a choice that I could pull out that firearm. I mean, if you think about it, that's in everyday society. I mean, but that's the thing, though. But people in European countries don't have to worry about that from their officers. They don't have to worry about that aggression or anything like that. Okay, so take a time out. You just hit on something that I like to talk about. Mm-hmm. So you have a weapon on your strap to your thigh in mm-hmm. plain view. Jaden can see it. I can see it. All right. You have a clear tactical advantage if things go sideways. Yeah. All right, now, let's change the scope of that. Jaden has a firearm, and I do not have a firearm. You two are in a verbal altercation. Do you think you would be quicker to de-escalate that knowing that it could end in violence and death versus when one person is armed? Because you know that if you create a threat, what are you going to do? That's a good question. 
And so, I mean, like I said, it's all from the perspective. And so, yes, that that gun is dangerous because anything technically is a weapon. But that you don't even have to have bullets for a gun. Exactly. Exactly. You the hell out of exactly. fairness to our policing is based off of European policing. Well, America just added their twisted forty-five caliber and nine millimeter twist to it. We did, but again, I mean, if you think about it. See, because here's the way I predict, though. If they get rid of weapons off of police officers, you're going to see a spike in police officer deaths for about two to three years, and it will slowly start decreasing. Because when Europe got rid of the weapons that their officers carry, that's pretty much what happened with them. But But see, here's the human side of it. If I have to go to a job every day where I know that people don't like me, and I got to pull this guy over because he didn't, you know, use proper signal or whatever... And he gets pissed off at me for pulling him over. And all I'm doing... And see, here's the problem. All I'm doing is pulling him over to try to make him a safer driver, make the public a safer sure, place. Sure, But he's pissed off with me. And by the way, he's got warrants that I don't know anything sure. about. And sure. so, me, I'm just like, hey, buddy, you know, just uh, want to let you know you didn't, you know, signal. And you pulled out in front of that dump truck there. It could have been ended bad for all of us. Exactly. But, but he just doesn't see it that way. In the mind, he doesn't hear anything that I'm saying. He hears, I got a warrant. I hope you don't run my stuff. Yada yada yada, and in his mind, he's building up a battle plan. Yep. Yeah, I see that. And I don't plan. have any idea. That's why I said, as soon as you pull somebody over, a conflict's already started, regardless. But if you think about it, it's the same for domestic violence as any any other call. I mean, police. Well, shows. at least with DV, you have well, a you know that's a possibility. Exactly. This is where I, I mean, stand by my point. By that, you keep bringing up domestic violence, but again, if we had a police force that was more mentally capable. And more stress trained, like the European, because the European uses SAS. Like, if there's like a school shooting or something What's there, SAS? Well, there's not going to be a shooting. It's a special SWAT force. Okay. Which they're trained 365, seven days a week. They train every single day until something happens. So, and, they carry, and when they pull up, they don't have handguns. No, they show up with assault rifles and things and such like that to de escalate a situation with a quickness. The normal cops I don't know if that, that would de-escalate, but I, I mean, I see the concept behind uh, it. No, well, they're going to de-escalate it with lead, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. but it's kind of lost at too, that point. Yeah, at the <laughs> same time, too, you would be like, well, if you take weapons away from officers, what about the people that have it? At the same time, Europe has a really bad stab rate for deaths, and I'm sorry to tell you, if I'm being honest with you, can we not get rid of guns? Because I'd rather get shot to death than stabbed to death. I'm going to be honest with you. I would rather be shot than stabbed. I agree with that. Yeah. Because I, I just I know if I had like I know, choice, I know both yeah. are gonna hurt, but if I had somebody standing in front of me, would you rather me stab you in the stomach to death or shoot you a couple of times? Just shoot me, bro. Just shoot me. Go ahead, so, given that statement, you know, Europe does a lot of things differently than we do, and of course, they've done away with um, their violence is much different. Yeah, uh, I mean, their penal system is completely different. Really? If you go to Europe, honestly, has a much more stable criminal. St- law side of things i think that could be debated in a lot of ways but the the biggest thing is you have if you kill somebody in the united states you pretty much know what your penalty is going to be or at least you used to yeah and you know in in europe it's not that way you serve a you know lengthy i say lengthy it's not really that long i guess in the grand scheme of things if you're 22 and you kill somebody, you're out with a second career and a family by the time you're 50 with no problem. See, I stand by my point here. Europe's is also more stable for the fact that everywhere shares the same criminal code and criminal law. Whereas in the United States, somewhere in California, doesn't California have the three strikes law? 
Yeah, there's several states that have that's that. Yeah. That's my point. And then there's some states that yeah. don't have that. So you can go to one state and kill somebody and get a lesser sentence than another state where you get a severely harsh one. And I agree with you on that because, like I said, California has always been the source. Of yeah, because like if I kill because if I kill you in Alabama, it's a lot different punishment than if I killed you in somewhere like Texas or Cali. Well, let, let's 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 look at that also. If you, I mean, and it breaks down to jurisdiction. You know, right. case in point. <clears throat> we had a um, we've had several people uh, get out on bond on murder charges okay. in Montgomery that had very low bonds, like yeah. under two hundred thousand for murder. Uh, there was a man uh, Joseph Floyd who Joseph Floyd, excuse me, Joseph Ford, who was murdered in broad daylight with witnesses. Yeah. The guy was out on bond in forty eight hours, and he's still walking the streets, and. Conversely, we had someone, uh, a murder victim, show up in a parking lot of a retail store in Elmore County. And by the time they caught the perpetrator, the suspect, because somebody left them open and their scales um, then you have a bond that's much higher, like in millions. So I'm not opposed to people getting bond, but I think that the revolving door of murderers, especially. If you murder somebody, there shouldn't be a bond option. I, I mean... I stand by that point. If you a, murder somebody, I just think the death penalty should still be a thing. If you kill somebody, there shouldn't be any question of what you're getting. Well, I It's mean, still a thing. You just have to get to that point. If you think about it, it's, technically it's, retri- it's retribution. Not for an eye, two for a two. Yeah. You're paying your debt. So... I just genuinely feel like if you know you kill somebody, you're going to die. Well... It's more of a leniency factor than just knowing you might get a life sentence and you could probably parole out and get, or get bailed. Or, if you think about it, like, for example, go to Louisiana, Angola prison. If you go to Angola, Louisiana, usually... Louisiana is like a third world country in terms of prison. Well, this is gonna be good. Don't they grow their own food in Louisiana? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Literally, in like, Angola, literally, it's like, like they threaten people with it. They're like, you know, hey, if you, if you don't uh, get straight or whatever, you're going to go to Angola. And usually, going to Angola, you're not going to get out. Is that a deterrent? Would you say? I yeah, mean, yeah, seriously. pretty much. But like you know, like some of the most dangerous criminals go to Angola. It's like it's, I won't say it's as bad as Rikers Island, but it's it's up there. But I mean, Rikers is in New York. Don't know Sally. I remember where Rikers. Okay, cool. We watch Law and Order. Yeah, we know. <laughs> NYPD Blue. Exactly, but yeah, but um, like I said, it's all within the. The legal system, and to think about it, the legal system has always been, I wouldn't really say corrupt, but it's uh, but it hasn't been just, it hasn't been equal. I mean, so there was actually a time in our history where if you had a, a I have a good friend of mine who used to share these stories with me all the time, if you did something illegal like murder, for example, yeah. or embezzlement or whatever, and the judge sentenced you to X amount of years in prison, you could actually buy down your sentence. Yeah. If your family was wealthy, you could actually go through and buy down your, your time. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, I guess what they're saying is if you have enough money, you can commit any crime you want. Right. And so I think that's less of a deterrent. And, and I think there's the consequence side of the world. Like when I was growing up, you know, there were consequences to your actions. And, you know, it was pretty swift and pretty vivid. Now, right. it's changed considerably from, you know, if you murder somebody and you can round up a couple bucks, you yeah. can get out and then go do it again. Yeah. Or you got so much time between yeah. the criminal act and the actual prosecution yeah. and the sentencing of it. So it's kind of like, well, it's not really real. Right. Well, they've done it once. They've got a taste for blood. Right. It, 
in my opinion, what I know, it becomes easier to do something once you've done it yep. once or twice. Yeah, exactly. And that's when you run into these problems. So how do you solve that? I don't really know, but I think it's going to take young people who are coming up today who are sick and tired of right. it to figure out the solution. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, it, it's got to get solved. Exactly. Uh, and that's what, uh, uh, well, and that's why I chose the law enforcement side of things. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, making a difference may sound cliche or whatever, but, I mean, it's just a matter of getting the right people in and taking the people that... Yes, you know what they're doing, but like it's just a matter of, like I said, changing the CJ system, and yeah. you can't really do that without the the proper people. And I mean, mm-hmm. all right, so let me give you a different perspective on that view. Your job gets pointless if the law system isn't fixed correctly. Uh, and I agree which is that. harsh to agree on. I mean, you can arrest somebody for a drug trafficking, and if their lawyer gets them off, your job was worthless at that point. Which I know is it awful. is. I mean, I know it is, and that's the thing. And so, but it's a moving scale too. Oh, it is exactly. And I think that's the part that we have to figure out. Exactly. (laughs) When it comes to criminal law, everybody's boss has a boss. Exactly. I mean, you have a boss one day. I mean, shoot, if you're going to go into juvenile court, but like I said, yes, the job would be, you say, pointless. But at the matter, but at the end of the day, it's it's still us enforcing all. Would it be fair? The judge is always going to be your boss. I know, but I'm saying, like in general. But you also have to run and you know, look at what your you know where your clients you know land you and exactly. when, when you're on that criminal defense side, and I think the the job of criminal defense attorneys and prosecutors are absolutely the most important aspect yeah. of our system because their job is to ensure that the law is enforced, enforced. yeah, and sure. that the defendant has the ability to have a fair trial that his rights or her right. rights aren't violated, and right. I think that's you know. It, the buying of buying down of sentences and things like that, you know, I think that kind of throws things off a little yeah, bit. Sure. But um, you know, at the end of the day, um, if there was a perfect world, there would be no need for law enforcement, prosecutors, you know, for attorneys, sure. all that. For sure. um, you know, people would enter into agreements with a handshake and do what they say yeah. they're going to do. But I think we've all proven over the course of time, people are going to do what they can get away with. Yeah, sure. All I know is we're going into a career field where you won't have to worry about your job getting terminated. Well, you can lose that job. Yeah, you if can, people don't like what you're doing, you're you gone. You can, but there's always going to be a need for it. Well, and the thing is, I was told this in my intro law enforcement class, which if you take it at JSU, you'll have the same freshman that I had, hopefully. But basically, if the department is doing their job right, they will more than likely get sued. Because, again, you I mean, sometimes you get sued for false arrest or, you know, oh, yeah. excessive force, stuff like that. But, I mean... That's why body cam stuff have been invented, invented to help try to solve that misconception between the uh, between law enforcement agencies and the community. Absolutely. And so, I mean, and like I said, it it all starts within. And my thing is, this might be going on a little tangent, but it all starts within the admin part of the department leadership. Because, like I said, if you have bad and like you just said, leadership is bad, and. Um, I mean, it's going to rub off within your department. It's going to rub off within your officers. It's going to show up on the street. So you want to make sure that the leadership is there. And like, you know, hey, you know, let's got to do some community policing. Because like I said, in the beginning of this podcast, the police needs the community and the community needs to police. I'm going to try to bridge the gap between the public and the community and make the crime, uh, crime happen. Because it's, it's been proven with community policing that like, you know, hey, if we get into the community, to help try to solve and prevent crime because there's a thing called the POP um, system. It's called Problem-Oriented Policing. 
basically you solve, you try to figure out problems within the community to help solve those problems, to help those problems to solve. Mm-hmm. So, so here's where I could ask you this. What happens to the need of police if we fixed other issues like the economy or immigration? Or you can go through and even talk about stuff like certain amendments and everything like that. What happens? Because I have a... Personally, from a psychology standpoint, a sociology standpoint, and studying it for a couple of years now for their high school team, I have a very firm belief that if somebody wants to commit a crime, they're going to commit a crime regardless of police presence or not. That's true. And so, my comment that is basically, like I said, you you, you can't see what a, uh, think of, you can't see what a criminal's thinking. You can't you can't like you don't have like. The- so uh, I got a phone call because again I wasn't anticipating doing the uh, after podcast so to speak it was kind of an impromptu thing so kind of got cut off and as soon as I was able to kind of kill the call and get the audio going we got started back again so here's kind of where we picked up where we left off so we're stupid my favorite slogan is play stupid games with surprises so I mean like I said look at like Ted Ted Bundy for for example dude was like smart as hell but I mean, he ended up... He was good-looking, charismatic. People liked him and were shocked when he was even accused. Exactly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Ted Bundy has a law degree, does he not? He did. He he represented himself in court, which was like the first time he almost actually got away with any of that. Yeah, exactly. But again, not all criminals are like Ted Bundy, man. Like, you know, charming or whatever and like, and are smart like him. Some are just straight up dumb. Oh, yeah. Dealt with plenty of and so this is where I put in there too, like how would it help Alabama's prison population and stuff like that if something like marijuana was legalized or if Alabama had more jobs? All right, because there's some cases where people are robbing or stealing and this and that just to. Put but food are on they their doing table. it to put food on their table? or Are they doing it to support a habit? That's See, my point. Okay. So at what point, when we arrest somebody that we can prove when they're put, trying to put food on their table for a family? Oh, at I what can... point do we look at that and try to help them instead of just imprison them? All right. Here you go. Here's the answer to that. So, actually, funny story. We, uh, back in, like, December, we pulled this guy for a uh, tag violation. And so, he had a little bit of shake in the car, which is, like, slang for marijuana, like, marijuana bud. So, you know, so, I mean, if you think about it. It was illegal what he had. Yeah, it, it was illegal. But still, if you think about it, yeah, it, it's a little bit of weed, but it's not worth taking him to jail. I mean, yeah, it's a ticket. But, I mean, do we write him a ticket for it? No. We bought a ticket, and it's like, hey, you know, just get your tag fixed, all right? But, again, if you think about it, with the with the Alabama prison population, the majority of those cases are dealing with drug cases. I mean, yes, there's a... a large majority of them. Exactly. Marijuana. And, and marijuana, yes. It can't, it should, uh, I mean, it, sh- it depends on what you're doing with the... With the okay, community. here's the way I, mean, I viewed it, and here's the way it should be structured. If you got caught or arrested for having a smokable amount by yourself... You should be allowed to go. I agree with you. If you were caught for a minor trafficking charge, I'm talking like five, six grams across state lines. If you've done at least half your sentence, you should be allowed to go. I agree with what you. What if I want to buy it? Now, if, you, sure. now <laughs> if you're coming across state lines. It's you, cheaper by the pound. <laughs> now, if you're coming across state lines and you've got 25 pounds of marijuana well, in your trunk. That's, that's trafficking. I'm not going to lie. At that point, you can't really play dumb. You kind of just got busted on that one. Exactly. Especially if it's individually packaged. That's, yep. Because uh, yep. when I was doing my PowerPoint exactly. on this and how it would help clear out Alabama prison population, per population, Alabama's prison is more overcrowded than California. I agree with you on that. Because if you do the inmate, capita, to, yes. if you do the yeah. inmate, yeah, per capita, 
But if you do it to that ratio, Alabama has an imprisonment rate of like 237%. But let's, let's go back to something that you just hit on. Both of you are kind of talking about the same thing. Okay. Even though something is illegal, you kind of have that little bit of, as a law enforcement officer, you have that wiggle room, shall we say. Mm. And, you know, there's some people who... I don't know with him. You got to... Who believe <laughs> that, you know, you kind of got to, you know, be a little flexible when it comes to rules and regulations and laws and things like that. And then you have other people that are like, yeah, you got to, you know, to the nth degree, you know. Um, how many people do you think are, are sitting in our, in Alabama specifically, this is what you guys are studying, how many people are sitting in, in our prisons in Alabama for stupid stuff that could have been avoided if we would just go across the board with certain things like 62.38% are in crimes for very minor very very minor offenses incarcerated for minor offenses 62 is that what you said yeah close to that number last time I looked and so a big that's along things of like petty theft and like I said it all depends on it's also obviously discretion as well I mean that's that plays a huge role and plus I mean officers can't control if a person wants to be like if a store, let's, let's say you you steal a candy bar from the store, and then like man, I, w- I want to prosecute you, I want to arrest you for that candy bar. Yeah, that's petty theft. Cause anything under five hundred dollars, much. I mean, which is I think small crap takes them to jail for is like like you said, like what if they're trying to just feed I'd themselves? give them the three dollars and roll out a thousand exactly. officer. That's exactly. just me, but I mean, exactly. Again, that's the discretion side. Exactly, of it. and so that's the human side of the bad. Exactly, and so that's what like especially. Somebody's trying to steal groceries from Walmart, dude. Like, yeah. if they're trying to steal, like, peanut butter, jelly, and some bread. Give it to them. I mean... At that point, like, I mean, either pay for it for them or just help them out. So. Yeah, because, like, you know... Cause... Now, if they're trying to steal a 12-pack of Modelo, they get in the <laughs> back of the car. Exactly. Like, they're exactly. over with. Yeah, I mean... Like yeah, yeah, I mean, I but if they're trying to make ends meet, I mean, shoot, I'm pretty sure we've all been there at some point. We're like, you know, we're, especially, like, in college, shoot, I mean, <laughs> because what I mean, we're gonna eat for different one night. I get it, but, I and mean, you have to, you know, again, the sixty-two percent is um, how many of these people can we rehabilitate and put out in the streets to do something? You talked about jobs. Sure. That was something else you for talked sure. about. I don't know if the sixty-two percent number translates into, but if we put half of these people to work, you think we could attract people to the state of Alabama that would employ no, yeah, for sure. these people? Yes. And we are in Alabama. We already have a huge leg up on on other like, states because yeah. we do have manufacturing. Yeah, exactly. Like I was showing him that. Rockford. Rockford is a prime town of a place that, if it had a little bit of a population boom, could turn into something very, very beneficial. To I the agree state. for sure. I Rockford's agree. got plenty of land, and it's a very safe town with a very good foundation. For sure. I mean, and back to the rehabilitation side of things, um, there are some people that you physically like can't help. <laughs> Yeah, some people are just going to be bad. Yeah, at the core. exactly. And so, I, mean, I agree, but know, I feel like America needs to focus their imprisonment thing more around the idea. Of I agree with you, and I mean, hate to get political here, but I mean, you can do that here. It's fine. Just be professional. Okay. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> but um, Kamala Harris. I mean, goodness, God bless you. But um, I mean, God bless her. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, but um, basically, I mean. She was the one that's like, you know, that passed along California. It's like, hey, if you're going to, if you have a grandma, then you're going to spend 25 years. That's, that's BS. I mean, 
that's taken away a quarter so, of a guy's life, just about. So let me ask you this too, because this minimum and this is not ex- yeah, exactly, and this is not meant towards you at any racial point. How does it feel though to know that she imprisoned a large majority of African Americans and then somehow turned around and got a majority of African American votes? See, it honestly it angers me. I mean, because okay. like you know, it's very because it's it's like it's once well, hypocritical, but it's like just very. Two-sided. It like, just you know, seems very two-faced yeah, to elect like, somebody to hold exactly. a position of power I mean, that imprisoned most of your community. Exactly. And like, you know, and if you think about it, I mean, the majority of the black men and women in America are just trying to make a living. I mean, and to imprison them, to keep them away from, and, and they have little kids that like they can't see grow up. They have families that they, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, if someone dies within your family, you got to go in there in chains and shackles to go see you're very lovely and like you know that and if that's even an option yeah if it's an option and it's honestly frustrating because like you know like i said we could clear out the majority of the prison population if we release those people well i'm and talking so, along the lines too just purely off of you you legalize marijuana yeah. that's a lot of state tax i agree that's a lot of state tax that's a lot of tax so the argument saved. could be made we can't manage you know our, our government can't manage the money they're given now mm-hmm. why give them more right but it's kind of like the, uh, you know, they passed the controversial gas tax several yeah. years ago, yeah. and everybody bitches and complains about it. Yeah. But here's the funny part. We have more new asphalt in Elmore County now than we've ever had. Yeah. We have more road projects that are popping off. And let me tell you, so it's nice not point. to bust a tire and break an axle. For sure. So that's my point. <laughs> Imagine if we released a majority of that prison population. That's money that's being saved on the budget that's not being spent into taking care of an inmate. Because I think the average cost of caring for an inmate for a month, I think, is like $170 so, yeah, per inmate. Yeah, for sure. Per inmate. For sure. So what I'm hearing, and this is, sounds kind of nuts, I guess, but <laughs> if we take these people that we're paying to house and incarcerate, and we convert them into tax-paying citizens with yeah. jobs and get them the help that they need. Yeah. I mean, the ones like, that can you know, be rehabbed. Because I'm sorry, but if you're in prison for weed, you can be rehabbed. Exactly. I mean, until you pick up bad habits yeah, from prison. Exactly. That's my point. Because at what point do you put somebody in prison who can be turned around for five years, and by the time they get back out, they don't know anything anymore? Yeah. Like, you throw somebody in jail for 15 years for having, like, five grams of weed in Georgia, and they live in Alabama. Congratulations. 15 years of his life goes by. Do you know how much changes in 15 yeah, years? Sure. Politics, technology, yeah. the cities, the roads. Yeah, for sure. But if we got rid of those people in that prison, that would clear up a lot of tax money. And then even if we just legalized it, that's... Think about the school money that could help. Yeah. That's why I think the lottery should be in Alabama, too. Yeah. Well, the argument can be made that the lottery money would never go to the schools in this yeah, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But I think the reality is this. I mean, I don't partake in alcohol, mm-hmm. but I don't have a problem with the fact that they sell millions of gallons of alcohol. Yeah. And the state, by the way, has liquor stores and they yeah. make the money off. And that's fine. Hey, look, yeah. I have no issue with that. If you want to buy lottery tickets or a scratcher and that's your retirement plan, mm-hmm. God love you. I feel like you should have the right to do that. Right. Because, hell, I pass many people going to one or the other casino all the time. Yep. The Indian casinos that we don't get a dime from as a community, we're all just kind of, they're part of our community. And they do give back. God love them. They, they really do give back to the schools. They do a, okay. a lot of things um, that you wouldn't believe. You know, like, oh, it's a casino. And it's, it's, you know, it's the Indian tribes and all that. Well, guess what? They're actually doing stuff for the community yeah. now. Like, at one point, it was turned down. But... At one point, the casino offered to buy our drum line an entire new drum line of drums, cymbals, heads. And all that. And Hopewell High School got it instead. It was turned down because of religious viewpoints of our school. 
So at what point do we, you know, kind of climb? I mean, and the thing is, like I said, the, the, we're not able to pay for these things. Mm -hmm. Parents, fundraising, things. That's right. how that program works. And I'm sure a lot of programs, um, athletics, arts, things like that, sure. are funded by the people that are involved with it. But, sure. you know, kind of got off on the side tangent. But it's like if we could develop these tax Ooh. dollars to go where it needs Here's to go. Here's a great example you know, of why stuff like that being legalized could help. There's a middle school being built up the road right now that they ran out of tax money for. Well... There are things that are important and things that are required to run mm -hmm. a school. And, of course, with the pandemic being what it's been and, and affecting taxes and all that other fun stuff, you know, it's kind of hard to predict what you've got. So with the need of these things ever growing, how do we fund that? And I think the answer is not necessarily raising taxes, but create a bigger tax base. I agree. And, again, if you have people that are sitting in prison for silly things that, you know... Could have been a boy to start with. Train them out of that. Yeah. And, sure. you know, put them part of the workforce. For sure. I'm, just, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to pay tax money every year out of my paycheck to go to a guy in prison because he wanted to smoke a blunt. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, like I said. Now the murderers, the rapists, child molesters, things yeah, like yeah, that. Sure. I mean, if yeah. I need to donate, I'll donate like yeah. I'm feeding yeah. kidnapped. Yeah, exactly. Trust me, I'll, I mean, I'll donate to that call all day long. You can. And, like, you know, and that's another thing that we run into with the... Coming to just uh, the CJ system. I mean, yeah, it's, we call it corrupt and stuff, but it's also very, I wouldn't say lenient, but sometimes it can be lenient because, like, you'll be sitting there. Let's say you freaking assault somebody, whatever. Yeah, it's $5,000 bond. If you freaking must a child, oh, yeah, $50,000, all right? Or if it's freaking the kidnapping charge, $100,000. I mean, yes, yeah, 10% of that bond, but, you know, People can bond out easily and do the same thing. Mr. Black said earlier. I don't want to hear my opinion on child molesters. And so like, That's for a whole other day. Yeah, it's a whole other day. We will get heated The impact of that is... Uh, yes, yeah. yes. I'm just going to simply say the death penalty should run more than one thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we've covered a lot of things here. Yeah. And uh, like I said, we'll have to definitely do this again. For sure. Thank you guys for joining me yet again for thank the for after podcast, me. funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for having us. Oh, thank no problem. We'll definitely do this again for and sure. uh, join us for future like, share, follow, and all that good stuff. And uh, thanks again. Well, it was very interesting to kind of see them loosen up a little bit and really share their their thoughts and their opinions based on how they see the world as college freshmen. They're wrapping up their freshman year and then going into a career path that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't even attempt to go into. And I, I give them props. I mean, it's, uh, it's very interesting to get honest answers from, you know, the young folks that will be tomorrow's leaders. So thanks again everybody for joining us i really do appreciate you tuning in and uh, hopefully you will like share follow and all that fun stuff and uh we'll see you for an episode three soon have a great day